What's going on guys? Welcome to People Playing Games, a show spotlighting awesome creators in the world of video games. Today's guest is an entertainer, a producer, one of the key voices of competitive Mortal Kombat, and the host of the Jay Gray podcast, among many other things. Mr. Joshua Gray, how's it going, man? Very good, sir. It's Sunday. It's my day off. I'm doing some gardening, so it's been nice to get out in nature uh, after the winter. But I tell you what, my friend, I am so overwhelmed with excitement when it comes to Mortal Kombat 11. We are mere weeks away for what I feel will be not just the biggest game of the year, but probably one of the biggest games of the decades in the same essence as Avatar was uh, movie-wise in 2009, right? It was like, wow, what a way to end a decade when it came to the visual styli- uh, stylization, the visual style, all that stuff when it came to Avatar. Say what you will about the story, you know, it was just pretty much Fern Gully in space, but um, <laughs> it really captivated a lot of people what film could do. And with Mortal Kombat 11, one, the story is going to be great. Uh, I know the writers. I'm, I love these characters. And just from the story trailer alone, where Johnny Cage punches Kano in the nuts and says, go back yep. to the 90s. I'm like, I'm, I'm sold, brother. I think that was that was my, my single favorite moment so far of all the story I've, trailers. I've watched that trailer so many times. Uh, and it's going to be packed full of all this different content. Uh, you can customize the look of your characters. We got Ronda Rousey voice in Sonya Blade. I mean, we, there's just a lot of... Things that you think, okay, you know, NetherRealm, the game studio that creates Mortal Kombat and Injustice, they can kind of play it safe and and just keep rehashing what they're doing. No, they push the envelope every time. And especially in the current trend of AAA developers that have just really, really, really sucked <laughs> this year, <laughs> uh, it's going to be a really great breath of fresh air to have a fully baked, done game released uh, on release day so yeah i'm a little bit biased sure but uh i, I am very very excited as as it as a gamer just um you know objectively it's gonna be a good time yeah absolutely i can't wait i'm assuming uh like myself and all a lot of other mortal Kombat fans out there you probably spent some time with the beta so what do you absolutely. think of the gameplay so far well, number one, the netcode is so super smooth, it feels like I'm playing with somebody in the same room, which was that same feeling that I had when MKXL came out, the uh, updated uh, one-year kind of Game of the Year edition for Mortal Kombat X, and how better it was. When, you know, We had built a league off the online connection already, and so mm-hmm. for NetherRealm to continue to improve it, excellent. It feels smooth, it feels awesome, everybody... It's almost like an afterthought now just of having the expectation of it being so good. You know, there's no way that NetherRealm can go back and hopefully other game developers will will take note. The characters, Jade, I, so I played Scarlet over the tr- uh, stress test and I mm-hmm. liked her, but I was just, it was so much learning the movement and how much different yet familiar Mortal Kombat 11 is compared to the previous Mortal Kombat uh, game, Mortal Kombat X, or even Injustice 2 the, uh, that's made by the same developers. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, the movement was slower in comparison, but the overall approach is slightly different. It's more focused on the neutral game, the distance that you have between your characters. Everybody's got a weapon, so they have a little bit more reach. You don't have a whole lot of this rush down, get in your face, and it's going to be a 50-50 where they're going to either do an overhead or a low, and you have to time your block correctly. Otherwise, you're going to get blown up. And when you see that over and over again, it definitely shows the skills of the players, but the pacing and the action is different. So with Mortal Kombat 11, having that more neutral game makes the intensity of who's going to get that hit, who's going to open up, who's going to whiff and get punished. Um, It's a little bit of breathing room, and Mm -hmm. it allows the audience to be even more captivated, in my experience, at least watching some uh, some of the streams. Playing Jade, which I fell in love with 
at first I, I was playing her I was like dude I don't I don't know what her strings are I don't know what her combos are I don't know what her really good normal attacks are but she's got a staff and she's hot so I exactly. <laughs> definitely that's all you definitely need. That, yeah that's a that's that, that's all I need to get started but I spent the time I labbed I went through the tower I watched the combat cast again featuring her different moves mm-hmm. listened to 16-bit one of the developers and how to play her game and it started to click and it was like learning a new musical instrument for the first time when you get the notes right and then you can get the sequence and the chorus down then it starts to go by memory you get excited and, and even more excited and more of the combos land and then you start winning and winning more and more and I'd be at work at the bar going, I can't wait to get home and play some more Jade. And that was just the beta. You know, that was just a a handful of characters and to have that much fun and that many great matches. Uh, I'm going to put together a highlight piece uh, up on my YouTube here pretty soon showing off just how much fun I was having with the beta, bro. I mean, the other AAA developers that have launched alphas or betas this year have been so lackluster and full of bugs. Mm -hmm. And this one just made you want to just, you are craving to play the full game. Uh, So overall, I'm elated ecstatic with how the game feels and as soon as i and i I don't even know if she's going to be in the game or not i'm leaning towards yes but as soon as i can get my hands on katana oh yeah that's your girl oh man call call the hospital bro (laughs) my heart may stop beating uh yeah i'm i'm tangibly excited for this game bro um and just even playing the beta was such a great appetizer and all of the great um, word of mouth that's been going around for people that pre-ordered the game uh, that got to play um, you know, the beta or had a beta code and was able to play the game. It's all been just super positive. And even the feedback from the players has been, mm-hmm. oh, we should have breakaways. You know, let's get rid of breakaways. There's too many defensive options. And other people are like, nah, let's keep them in. Maybe we should change this. It's slight tweaks. It's just slight tweaks from like the upper echelons of the best players in the world that are making these you know, feedback reports and uh, they're not even ranting. They're like, yo, this is great, but it'd be even better if you have this. And then you have counter arguments and whatnot. So having that as the foundation launch point for a game compared to the, well, I can't get in, the servers are down, the loading screen times are way too long, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Great position to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you know the future of Mortal Kombat 11 esports might be under wraps right now, but is it safe to assume we'll see you on some stages, hosting some tournaments? This is really you know, what you've been doing for a good chunk of the last few years, you've been kind of the yeah. face of, you know, the Mortal Kombat X Pro series and the Injustice 2 Pro series. So yeah, are you excited to kind of dive into whatever's next for MK11? Absolutely. I do know a few things. I cannot reveal them at the moment. Otherwise, I'd love to give you some exclusives. Um, <laughs> there, uh, There is a plan and you will hear my voice at the beginning of that plan for sure. Uh, and I'm pretty confident you'll see me on stage for a number of those events uh, throughout the year. I am, you know, living that independent producer life where I'm doing this part time, uh, you know, doing my YouTube and content and streaming stuff part time and then working at a bar part time. Sometimes I think like my being stretched too thin. Every time I feel I go, no, <laughs> I'm so I'm so motivated for for what we're doing, what we have done in the competitive scene, how that really raised the bar for everybody. And we're still enjoying the echo of what we did, you know, four years ago with the ESL uh, America team. And now that ESL team, you know, isn't there anymore, we've all gone off on our different lives, but we still are involved in the fighting game community in one aspect or another. Uh, even people, a friend of mine, Brett Billing, the professor we like to call him, who uh, helped make the combat mm-hmm class one of the best digital assets warner brothers has ever seen uh he lives in europe now working for riot games doing league of legends stuff but he's still 
keeping track of Mortal Kombat. Can't wait to play the game. You know, I, I may may see if I can hire him for some stuff on the side in the future. Um, you know, type of stuff. So it's part of our DNA now. It's not going away. Uh, Brian Compton, who is part of the ESL American mm-hmm. team, he's the one who's leading the summit right now, the summit oh, wow. of time. Yep. So uh, and seeing kind of where this team has ended up, I'm super proud, and we feel like you know brothers that accomplished this great mission, but now we've gone our, our our separate ways. But but you put us in a room together, and you can feel the electricity. The fans can feel the electricity because it was all of our passion and talent yep. that went into that show, and that's what made such a big difference. Um, I I personally. If I had my way, I would do this till the day I die. I mean, I Mortal Kombat has been a part of my life ever since I was uh, a kid doing martial arts. Uh, seeing the movie with my dad, the soundtrack. My family watched the movie over and over again on VHS when we had it back in the day. The video game itself. For me to have now uh, a part of that in my life where you know I'm friends with the developers, I'm talking to Ed Boon like weekly about stuff, um, it's so crazy. Like my oh, yeah. five-year-old self would be like, "No way, this happened." <laughs> um, but it, there's still plenty of stress. There's still plenty of obstacles. And you know, for a huge company like Warner Brothers, it takes a lot of contracts, a lot of signatures, and a, it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. The more success they see from the competitive side, um, but I'm, I'm thrilled to continue to work with the Warner Brothers games team and the NetherRealm team. They've been some of the best people I've worked with in the video game industry. They get it. They also get the frustrations of being a large company and don't, you know, they don't, they don't push, they never push a false narrative or they never go out of their bounds when it comes to like um, promises unfulfilled. You know, they're not like, we're going to do a million dollar league. You know, they're not going to have these big <laughs> announcements because it's not practical. Right. It, 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 there's so much of the grassroots DNA uh, within the competitive scene itself. That that voice is so strong and relevant. Um, you know, a giant corporation like Warner Brothers doesn't want to have the bad publicity or the hassle of of making a misstep. And you know, sometimes it's frustrating because I would love to have a whole roadmap of what we're going to do for the next year or two years. Sure. Uh, and, I, and I know the people at Warner Brothers would love to tell you today what that roadmap is, but because they have a lot of pieces to the puzzle uh, and a lot of uh, hands that are involved in the overall program they have to make sure all their uh eyes are dotted and t's are crossed before they can make the official announcement but there is something it will be announced soon uh we had a little bit of a tease from game informer saying that the variations for the tournament mode for mortal Kombat will be fixed which mm-hmm. i mean i had that ex- everybody had that expectation so people sure. came out were like oh i'm so disappointed but it's like no you had your expectations too high you right. have to remember at the end of the day, when it comes to tournament mode, balance is going to trump customization. The last thing we want is to have an asterisk next to somebody's name who won a tournament because they won with a variation or a character that turned out to be broken or overpowered right, right. You know, a little bit too late. So we all want to avoid that. Um, and that's also just the growing pains of being a developer that's really good at what they do. They show off these awesome customization uh, um, varieties uh, and variations with the characters. We got to play them over the stress test and the beta. And, uh, you know, people want more. That's the cardinal rule of entertainment. Always leave them wanting more, and people want more. So we'll see. I mean, NetherRealm even said on the Combat Cast recently that, you know, they could be adding more uh, variations in the future or looking at that again. But for the start, for everybody to start from the ground up, let's mm. make sure balance is a key for the tournament mode side. Yeah, um, I'll, I will will be attending Combo Breaker for sure. Uh, I would love to attend CEO and Evo right now. Um, I... 
I just started another um, part-time job with another company that I'll be able to announce here pretty soon <laughs> as a producer and on-camera talent for half the summer. So I'm kind of making sure that I survive that half summer with juggling all these all these different jobs and stuff. But I'm super thrilled for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited for the type of program where we're going to be doing. Uh, it is esports related. Uh, I'll be able to tell uh, the world more here pretty soon. Um, so I want to go to those events as well. Uh, they are part of the circuit. Uh, there's the expectation that Mortal Kombat will be there. And if people have the expectation for me to be there on Sunday to announce the players and, you know, in that epic intro that I, that we love to do, I'm mm-hmm. totally down if I yeah. can make it work. Um, but yeah, man, it's it, it just got to be practical um, and have a real solid understanding from realism of, you know, if you quit your job and rely on this, there's going to be so many ups and downs. It's going to cause more stress rather than, you know, don't quit your day job. But if you can make your day job part-time and then do this part-time and have something else part-time and kind of diversify your income in that sense, but you're also diversifying your life. You're having, you're able to balance it out and and do the things you want to do instead of, well, I can't go to the tournament because I got to work, 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 work. So it's a tough balance, especially being on your own, but this is what the players do. And players that train very, very hard for hours and hours and hours and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months. And then they go to the tournament and they made 10th place, which has, you know, unfortunately some tournaments has no prize money past the top eight. What a level of stress. And then if you compound that on, you quit your job to do this and you have no income for their, you know, the next month because you have no tournament winnings. Whoo, <laughs> that's that's yeah. very, very difficult. So I, yeah. I, I, there's a very healthy approach from the FGC because of the grassroots level coming up. Um, and I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I'd much rather have no, that. go for it. I'd much rather have that than the uh, top-down approach. You know, the, the Overwatch League, i I want them to be successful, but I don't support it. I don't support these $20 million franchise team buy-ins for any video game because it has a shelf life. And the shelf life right now for the AAA titles, especially on consoles, is going to be two to three years, maybe a little bit longer if you have a longer program or if it's a socially built-in program like League of Legends, which is, you know, that that, that has its own zeitgeist, right? And it has its own microtransactions, one-to-one for the developer. That's not going to be going away really anytime soon, but I don't see any more growth. It's kind of like peaked. It'll stay that way. It'll plateau. Then maybe it'll start to go down when MOBAs aren't really uh, in style, like right. uh, real-time strategies worked you know, 10 years ago. StarCraft II came out, and that really kind of relaunched the whole esports initiative after the economic crash of 2008 where people didn't want to spend you know that extra money or prospect into the space. But StarCraft II started to pave the way. Halo had been doing its thing for a while. You combine those two under the tent of MLG, and boom, you know, we had something big, but the bubble burst. You know, yeah. so so people have got got to realize that this uh, this is an entertainment business, and when you have trends and popularity, and um, you know, your game is like number one for a while, it's not going to be that way forever. And to try to sell people that it will be, that'll be a, a, a sport franchise like hockey or soccer or mm-hmm. football or baseball where the game's not really going to change. You know, nobody owns baseball. I mean, you have the exactly. MLB. It's 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 a, you know owned by a collective of people and they have franchises, but they don't own the sport itself. The game developers own the game. And that's why it's not the same as traditional sports in that sense. And, uh, you know, there's a few rare exception, exceptions. Counter-Strike, um, League of Legends, as I mentioned, you know, you still got people that want to play Quake one v one. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so there's still the diehard, the diehard niche communities that love that stuff, but they're not making millions of dollars. And anybody that comes into a room uh, that says, "Oh, we can make millions off this," is a snake oil salesman, is a liar, mm-hmm. 
and uh, should be called out as such. And when you see a lot of these esports conventions popping up here and there, like I see these names, I have no idea who they are. I have no idea what their background is. And if I don't know who they are, and Slasher doesn't know who they are, and yeah. Red Eye doesn't know who they are, they're not esports. Uh, yeah. And and I'm glad that we haven't had too many cautionary tales in the uh, fighting game community compared to uh, other teams that have. Uh, blown up and then burst because of, right. of their games you know anyways bro that is a bit of a bit of a long tangent on my side but that's why we do <laughs> these good. long these long form interviews exactly uh, that's what the show is all about yep. so yeah we're definitely going to talk a lot more about your esports career what you've done in acting and all those awesome things i actually want to turn the clock back a bit get a bit of your origin story so obviously you mentioned you know, you grew up loving mortal Kombat. what are some of your first memories of of mk and just getting into gaming in general the first time I ever saw a Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet was at Shakey's Pizza uh, in Federal Way, Washington, where I originally uh, grew up. I was born in Vancouver, Washington, and now I'm back. Uh, I moved away when I was 14 and then came back 17 years later, and now mm-hmm. I'm uh, loving it here up here in Seattle, living in SeaTac close to the airport. You know, b- Built my own podcast studio out of the garage and just trying to make uh, this house better and better. So starting out as a martial artist from the age of five and then doing all sorts of sports as well baseball football soccer all that stuff growing up i really had a i really enjoyed you know the competitive side but not overly so you know i i growing up in school i was kind of in all the different groups i'd go all the different cliques i talked to the jocks i talked to the geeks i talked to the nerds i talked to everybody except the pretty girls those are the ones that i was (laughs) always nervous to talk to that was the hard part yeah um but Video games was a part of my life kind of ever since the age of five of doing the sports and then playing Nintendo at home. Mm-hmm. Um, that was hooked up to like the big screen, which is like a 32-inch giant tube TV that took three people to lift back in the yep. day. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, starting on the regular Nintendo, <laughs> you know I'm a gamer because I call it the regular Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the proper name. That's right. The Super Nintendo, um, Nintendo 64. And just growing up with the consoles, knowing that Mortal Kombat was there at the arcade, playing Mortal Kombat when I'd go to the skating rink, uh, you know, in elementary school, people were like, oh, you were playing this as a kid. Yeah, I was. I was playing this as a kid, just like almost everybody else in our generation. Yeah. Um, you know, we really didn't have ESRB back then. But also, that stuff, my parents knew. Uh, my parents were smart enough to know, like, it was a video game and it's not real. But at the same time... They were cautious, like, "Oh man, that was violent." You know, yep. <laughs> you gotta yep. gotta be a little bit, a little bit cautious here, um, and continue just to continue to play, go to school, do sports, and it really wasn't until um, college did I see myself doing more of like the hosting, producing stuff within the esports realm, and that was through StarCraft Two. I was so excited that game was coming out. I was counting down the days. Been waiting ever since the announcement of two thousand seven. Uh, and then it came out, and it had no LAN, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. Blizzard was so focused on anti-piracy, they actually made the regular consumer have a worse experience. And mm. it, that was really, you know, I, I really loved the game and did everything I could uh, personally to get better at it, but also professionally to add my, my skills from, you know, going to school for acting and being an actor ever since I was five and, and learning how to host and be a presenter on that stage and tell the stories of these players because you know I, I would be suiting up for a football or whatever senior year of high school and then I'd go home and play all sorts of different video games and play with people online and get to know them on, online and make mm-hmm. these great friends online so after football was over and I knew I was going to be playing football in college it, it felt like a part of my competitive nature 
was still going to continue through video games. Um, I did fighting for 10 years in Taekwondo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and really enjoyed that, but got you know so focused on school and doing other sports and other activities and acting that I didn't have the time that I wanted to continue to pursue it throughout my teenage and young adult life. Um, but I still mm-hmm. had the competitive nature of playing video games. So that fire was definitely still alive. And to be able to combine the passion for playing games along with my passion of being a performer and a storyteller, just a dream come true. I mean, it was definitely a, a whirlwind. So the the existence of video games, the existence of uh, performing, and the existence of competition all kind of meld into one throughout my young adult, my childhood and young adult life, and that has turned into a, a, a career, really, which has been been awesome. But I've been a huge fan of video games, not just the like multiplayer competitive or fighting game stuff, but the single player stuff. I mean, there's. Mm-hmm. I remember playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time, borrowing my friend's PlayStation, and <laughs> yep. just having the different camera angles and the levels of that game was next level. Instead of you know the the 2D side scroller or the you know Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars, still one of my favorite games of all time, and mm-hmm. how you could go on a narrative. And I'd explain to my parents like, yeah, you know, I may be playing this game for six hours, but if you were complaining about me reading a book for six hours, you know, would you complain type thing? Exactly. And I try to explain to them, like, look at this, look at this story, look at this narrative. I'm falling in love with these characters. You know, this is this is the tip of the spear when it came to this type of art. Yeah. And for the younger generation or the older generation, the baby boomers are like, I don't get it. Uh, but yeah, my parents, they, think, they think we're just rotting our brains away. Yeah. Yeah. That's what their parents thought about when it came to rock and roll and the Beatles <laughs> exactly. and stuff, you know. But my, my parents definitely supported uh you know, playing video games in the house. We the last game they played with us. I I have three other siblings and I'm the oldest. So having a Nintendo 64, four kids. Thank you, Nintendo. I mean, that definitely <laughs> playing Star Fox 64 and Goldeneye and all that stuff was awesome. Um, and definitely helped to have a good childhood. But that was the last game my parents played mm-hmm. uh, together was Goldeneye. And they're like, all right, we 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 can't keep up with you kids. You're <laughs> too good here. Um, yeah. But that's that's pretty much in a nutshell, bro. The the whole backstory of of video games being a part of my life. Um, the, uh, going to college and getting my acting degree and having my career start to take off with MLG and then leading into NASL and then ESL mm-hmm. right after college definitely was an awesome jumping off point. And then during my time at ESL is when I made that life-changing relationship with Warner Brothers. Um, and I still have a great relationship with them, obviously. Uh, the, the folks over at CD Projekt Red, the people mm-hmm. that make uh, The Witcher and Gwent and Cyberpunk 2077, I have a great yep. relationship with them. And really having these relationships with these artists, these these artists that are pushing the envelope when it comes to this new art form we all love to call video games is such a wonderful thing to have you know i'd love to have buku bucks i really would i'd love to be out of debt as soon as i can that'd be awesome but to have but to have a body of work that i'm super proud of and people that have been making these games for the longest time are proud of and and you know reach out to me and still talk to me and possibly have more stuff to do in the future it's 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 amazing dude and i know i keep saying it over and over again but it's something that i never want to um I never want to uh, not recognize because yeah. it was a lot of hard work, a lot of stress making these shows. You know, mm-hmm. is anybody going to watch um, all sorts of production stress from doing shows with MLG, last minute changes? 
you know, not have no teleprompter. I haven't had a teleprompter in the majority of the shows that I've done, right? It's had to be memorized, all this writing the scripts. And and all of it just gave me the tools to be a better producer, to be a better storyteller. Um, And I I always want to continue to sharpen my skills and, and get better and better and better because it's a very, very unique opportunity to pursue something I'm super passionate about and to make some money doing. Um, I, I'm excited for the future of video games. The whole streaming, everything's going to be streamed. I'm a bit leery of because yeah. what if you know they turn the servers off? Like they're doing for some of like, uh, I think it's The Crew, this racing game. They're going to turn mm-hmm. the servers off pretty soon so you can't even play the game anymore. Yeah, same same thing happened with Drive Club recently and you know, more and more games are going to shut down. It, yeah. Of course, like you know, Google just announced their Stadia platform where the games themselves are all going to be in the cloud. And, you know, I, on one hand, that stuff has potential. Like, I think it's great that people without consoles and PCs could just play some Assassin's Creed on their phone or laptop. But again, it's like, what happens if you don't have internet? What happens if everything gets suddenly shut down? That was the big the big hoopla when Xbox One had the big announcement. Again, they had the DMCA always on, trying to fight piracy at the cost of the consumer experience. And, the, and I was upset. <laughs> I was very upset because I thought about all of my fellow veterans who run mm. submarines for six months that can't connect to the internet. Yeah. And yet they rely on these consoles to play video games or, you know, on the base, they have very, depending on what base they're at and what, what their division is, but they have, you know, very protected internet. Uh, and if there's some sort of connection issues, they can't connect to play the game at all, then they're screwed. So that was the first thing that I thought of like, okay, you guys are just pretty much saying we don't care about the current limitations that uh, some of our men and women in uniform have when it comes to playing our games. And to not consider that whatsoever and to not have any PR statement as that being the most prevalent question uh, when they had their E3 announcement a number of years ago left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth. That's why Xbox has taken such a long time to kind of bounce back. But the beauty about that is they were humbled, hopefully have learned their ways, partnering with Nintendo to have Xbox... What is it? Uh, the Xbox uh, subscription, the ten dollar a month, the Xbox so, games on the yeah. Nintendo Switch. You know, yeah, crossplay in the future. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That for them to go, okay, Sony, you're the number one console right now. We get it. We're going to reconnoiter. We're going to refit. We're going to figure out our game plan. They bought up some great studios, and we're going to come swinging hard for the next console generation. Yeah. And they're up here in Seattle. So, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it all comes it, full circle. It, yeah, it all comes full circle. Um. And I still prefer to play my shooters on Xbox, and yep. I prefer, you know, my fighting games on the PlayStation Four, just because of the nature of the controller, and also that's kind of what the community, you know, decided. So I have no problem jumping back and forth between the consoles and whatnot. It's part of the it's part of the casualty of the console war. Yeah. But the fact that we don't have crossplay still is really uh, Sony Sony's yeah, fault. Yeah, and, uh, and it would exactly, and they've they've started to bend on on things like Fortnite and Rocket League. But it would be such a boon, especially for the fighting game community. Absolutely, because there's no you have no inherent advantage. When people when people talk about crossplay, at least back in the day, um, there was the potential of crossplay for Counter Strike Go. Back when Counter Strike Go was still going to be released on console. Yep. And the PC gamer side, which I was a PC gamer for the longest time, and then I'm like, dude, consoles are so much more social. <laughs> I uh, yeah. it's e- <laughs> so I don't mean to be crass, but it's easier for me to get laid playing a console game with a woman <laughs> than it is playing a PC game with a woman in the same room. Sure, right? sure. So. Um, I understood where they were coming from of, okay, yes, yeah, somebody with the mouse and keyboard is going to have faster reaction times and more precision for a shooter. Great. Okay. Won't argue against that. 
totally on that on, on that same plane. But not all the games are shooters, and a fighting game is not going to have any more of an inherent advantage. Hell, you're going to be at a disadvantage if you're playing on a keyboard <laughs> compared to playing on a yeah. uh, controller, right? Yeah. So to me, there is no no practical, logical argument that will stand up against not having crossplay. The argument right now is the older business model of Japan, which you've seen from Capcom, Nintendo, and Sony, where they don't want to play ball with others because they're so focused on their products they don't want to have that, you know, they don't want to they don't want to lose their current podium of where they are. And that um being that rigid doesn't work anymore. That's why yeah. you've seen Nintendo uh change their ways recently. Capcom has been supporting you know, a Street Fighter and having some really good uh, releases and having a long-term type of plan for Street mm-hmm. Fighter with Capcom fighters. You didn't have that from the Capcom team for a long time. So yeah. definitely seeing those changes, it takes a while for that big ship, you know, these these big companies to, to steer that ship in that direction. But it, it's a good place to be. And the moment that we can all have cross-play, especially for fighting games, is going to be a win. It, it, nobody loses. Nobody loses by having cross-play. Any argument that Sony would have of, well, we need to keep selling our consoles. So that was like, no, no, people are going to buy your console, yeah. one, either for the controller or two, for the exclusives. And you guys are killing it with the exclusives this generation, right? Exactly. So so pump the brakes. Let let us have cross-play. And let's end the biggest casualty of the console war of not being able to play with my friends because they bought an Xbox instead of a PlayStation. Yeah, totally with you there. So you actually, uh, something you touched on before, you mentioned you are a veteran uh, and you did, uh, according to your website, spent some time in the Air Force. Um, so what was that experience like and how did it lead into you know, pursuing your acting career and everything after? Ooh, yes. So uh, as a fan of Star Wars and Top Gun, I wanted to be a pilot. And... During high school, I was thinking, okay, what's the next steps? Going to college, uh, college is going to cost money. Do I want to stay in the field of being an actor and you know get my degree there, or this air the Air Force is possibly going to be an opportunity for me to get a scholarship? So, mm-hmm. both my grandfathers were in the Navy. My father is a Marine. He retired before I was even born. So, military was you know in. The history of my family, but it was never like I, I was never forced to join a military branch. But when I was sure. seriously th- considering it, my dad's like, "Well, if you're going to join any of them, join the Air Force. They got better bases, better food, <laughs> and you're <laughs> you know you're surrounded by missiles in case uh, anything happens." I'm like, "Yeah, right. you know that's true." So uh, high school, I talked to a recruiter. I had the Army come by. The Army wanted me to fly helicopters. Uh, I had really good eyesight, really good health. Obviously, I've been playing video games for most of my life, so hand-eye coordination was this thing that just came to me. Right. So uh, pursued the Air Force route, signed up for enlist uh, enlistment. I was an Eagle Scout, uh, so I got an automatic promotion signing mm-hmm. up, which was cool. Automatic um, rank promotion as well from an E1 to an E2. Uh, went through the military entrance processing station and was on uh, the wait list to to ship out as soon as I graduated. Well, I also applied for a scholarship because I wanted to definitely you know pursue the officer side and be a pilot. Uh, and the Air Force granted me a fifteen thousand a semester scholarship, any college I wanted as long as I had an ROTC program. Dope. So um, <laughs> got the uh, got the scholarship that handled. Uh, tuition, a little bit of books, some other stuff, but I, I had to I had to handle housing on my own, so I had to take a little bit of money out for housing. Uh, but they did they did help with some housing, um, and then pursued the ROTC cadet life at the University of Utah, and really was gung ho uh, about doing it. 
And during that time, I was Mormon. Uh, I'm an atheist now, but they, the Air Force allows Mormons to go on their Mormon mission after their freshman year. Okay. Um, and this was also the year that World of Warcraft came out. So Ooh. I have all these credit hours. Uh, for en- I had to choose an engineering degree, so it was computer engineering. I'm taking computer engineering classes that I've never coded in my life before. So I'm trying to <laughs> build an ATM machine from scratch. Right. Um, I'm I'm surrounded by other Mormons, which uh, at the time I was in this like small town in Kansas where my sister and I were the only Mormons in high school. So not drinking, not smoking, not having sex was kind of a nuanced thing, <laughs> you know, for us. But I'd still go to the parties, and and the my friends' parents were like, "Oh, Josh is going to be there. Yeah, you can go to the party. Well, no, <laughs> he's going to be the right. only non-drinker there, but you'll get home safe with him and stuff like that." So I was still social, have my social groups, but that was part of my life that went into college and the Air Force. It totally supports that. They want Mormons to go on their mission because they make you better officers, is what I was told. Mm-hmm. So scholarship um, got cut, uh, and my fi- my paperwork was put on hold because the Air Force allowed that program after your freshman year to kind of like test out the waters. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, I just I the war with Iraq and me bombing my. Uh, Japanese and computer science classes because I just stopped showing up because I was so overstressed. I was so focused on the Air Force stuff and my other mm-hmm. classes, and I'm like, well, I can, I can at least get two failing grades my first semester because the Air Force is going to allow it. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, because of the war with Iraq, I got called in to the my uh, um, detachment's headquarters um, with the uh, lead officer there, and he explained to me, he's like, I've been on the phone with headquarters for the last two days, and they're going to cut your scholarship, but I'll pay for half of your tuition out of my own pocket if you can come up with the other half. And I'm going, whoa! Wow. Whoa. First of all, for somebody in that leadership position to tell me that they're willing to fund half of my education out of their pocket, uh, and then we can figure out how to pay it back, was a, a it, tremendous, I'm, I'm almost getting emotional, a tremendous compliment yeah, from somebody oh who I'd only known for about four months, right? One of my lead officers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it also was this way out of one, my major was way too, I took on way too much. It was way too hard for me. My passion for playing video games of World of Warcraft was not going to go away. Sure. Uh, and this Mormon mission was looming. Like, that definitely was going to be the next step. So the Air Force said, we'd love to have you back. We're going to keep your paperwork. Um, but you don't owe us. You're not on contract. You don't have to come back. This is kind of like that first-year freshman thing. Go mm-hmm. on your mission. Get back to us. Went on the mission. Uh, I served a mission in California, Los Angeles, Spanish-speaking. So I was in Compton, mm-hmm. Watts, South Central, all these places that growing up as a kid watching media in the 90s and the 2000s going like, this places are rough. Then I would go knock on those doors and meet the kindest, most gracious people. And then I'd meet the thugs and the gangsters and we'd have some serious deep talks. They'd be like, yo, awesome. the reason why I'm selling drugs is because I can be part of this system that's racist, that's always going to have me down. I'm always going to be at a disadvantage. It's going to be very mm-hmm. hard for me to climb out of through the educational system or through career or whatever. Or I can sell drugs and make a shit ton of money. I'm sorry, a bunch of money. No, sorry, you sorry. could absolutely curse on the cool. show. Cool. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, and and enjoy my life now, even though my future is uncertain. I got to be looking behind me, and I was like, dude, if I was in your same position, I'd be selling drugs too. It it increased my empathy a thousandfold, right? Even though I've, I was trying to preach this gospel, which you know said in 1976, God changes mind about black people. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was kind of this walking conundrum, but at the same time, I was, I was exposed to so many people, and I was breakdancing and beatboxing and singing and. 
I got asked to sing at uh, a couple funerals, some hymns. So the performance side never went away. And that's when I started to really learn that, okay, I'm, I am a performer. I'm a storyteller. As much as I would love to make a career as a pilot in the Air Force, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And for me to dabble a bit and be on that path of the military, uh, to know what it was like and have a taste of it and to still have that, you know, I was in the Air Force. I did um, some serious training, especially the psychological training they put you through through the Arnold Air Society. This is like kind of voluntary yet elite version of boot camp for your whole <laughs> semester that I was so ill from stress and memorization and being in positions of leadership that I couldn't eat. I would go to the cafeteria, I'd feel hungry, I'd load up a plate, I'd take one bite, my body's like, nah, you're not eating anything. Oh, wow. And it was it was tripping me up, but I was surrounded by a lot of great cadets. Our class was awesome. We put in the work, and then we when we got our call signs, my call sign was clutch. I was like, oh my God, that's <laughs> the best call sign ever. And that became my gamer tag for the longest time. Yeah. So, so the Air Force, the greatest lesson that I learned from the Air Force uh, through the training was you have this mentality of I want to be the best I can be but you have to learn and adapt the mentality of I want my team to be the best that they can be and that was definitely this eye-opening awakening when you're in a leadership position or you're in a role where people look to you you have to bring out the best in others and uh, I was very grateful for it you know I've I've I say veteran status because it's technically correct but I have a little bit of trepidation sometimes because you know, when I think of a veteran, I think of somebody who had to fight and kill and mm-hmm. do things that, you know, they don't really like to speak of when they get home. Uh, and for some of my fellow Air Force uh, cadets and um, servicemen and women that have gone on and become drone pilots, they're dealing with a very different but terrifying psychological state of, you know, I'm in the comforts of this base and I press a button and I just killed I killed 17 people and 12 of them were bad guys but four of them were innocent women and children. And they have to go, yeah. home. you know, they, they get debriefed later on the casualties and they have to go home and go, wow, uh, you know, I was ultimately responsible for that. And it's a, it's a very scary realm of PTSD. Um, because it's not even, you you know, you don't have the smells or the sounds or the physicality to put you where you were. It's just you in a room looking at a screen, pressing a button, and boom, something blows up. Um, I I have nothing but respect for people that have chosen to go the route of the military, but I will make one political statement here why I don't plan to go back, nor do I Mm -hmm. recommend people to join, because we're part of an empire. America is currently an empire that is branching out and trying to control as much of the natural resources um, that they can to fuel the empire and to make the people at the top of the military industrial complex that much more rich. So uh, I really have a problem uh, with our current way that the military is used, but I will echo uh, the words of Tulsi Gabbard, who has a lot more authority and experience than I do when it comes to how, uh, how our military is not being used appropriately. Uh, And that's all say on that matter, my friend, but I, there's just there's so much of a, a rich history of discipline and sacrifice and mm-hmm. you know service before self, integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do being the code of the Air Force. Uh, you know when you have people that live by that code, it's a better people, it's a better society. But when that passion and that love and that fuel for being a patriot and doing what's right for your country is taken hold by uh, those that don't have the best interests interests of Americans at heart, nor you know people in foreign lands, it yeah. gets very frustrating and it gets very, 
you know, I, I implore those to listen to the veterans who have come back from the wars. And for anybody who complains about millennials, be like, well, millennials went and fought the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq. So don't think that we're lazy. I think yeah. we've just we've we're, we're we've become so tired of the bullshit that we don't want to do things the way that baby boomers want to do them, which ties into video games, man. I mean, the whole new media phenomenon in video mm-hmm. games has been such a counterculture to the baby boomers. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. That it has really turned a lot of things uh, on its head. So there's there's a brief, <laughs> a brief <laughs> but long uh, history with the Air Force. And um, I did get to fly a Cessna. Never got to fly uh, a jet, but I did get to fly a Cessna. And let me nice. tell you, it feels like you're going very slow when you don't have a lot of things around you um, huh. to compare your speed, unless you you know you go by a wisp of clouds or whatnot when you're high up in the air. But when you yeah. get down low to the ground, you're like, wow, I am going pretty fast. <laughs> I'm going pretty fast. So that, that would awesome. be the, the fun of flying, I would say. Very cool. And yeah, from there, you went on to get your Bachelor of Fine Arts in acting. And like you said, pretty much uh, went right to esports from there, working with folks like MLG, Riot, Blizzard, eventually ESL, of course, now WB. So what was that transition like uh, of just kind of breaking into the industry, and, and how did you do it? StarCraft II came out summer of 2010, and the first official tournament that we knew of in America was in Raleigh, South, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, which at the time I was living in Virginia, had a couple good friends who were also playing StarCraft, and we tried to get competitor tickets, but only one of my friends got one. Uh, they sold out in like 26 seconds, right? So we, uh, he, my, uh, our mutual friend, it was Lee, David, and myself. Um, we went to the event, met some people, had a good time. I did a countdown series on my YouTube for the release of StarCraft II and met some of the MLG people because when we first arrived, we looked around like, okay, who's old enough to have their driver's license? That's that's how we'll know who's a StarCraft <laughs> player compared to all the Halo players who were like, you know, teenagers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Nothing against Halo. It was great, but it was kind of like, you know, we're looking around to see who, who, who was in charge there. Met some key people at MLG, showed on my YouTube channel. I told them what I was doing. I was going to school. I was about to go into my sophomore year of college uh, for acting and Mm. uh, made that connection. And after that, they hired me on as a cameraman. Um, Mm. As a cameraman for a weekend. I think the next event was like in D.C. Uh, And they also hired my other friend, David, to be an admin. So he and I started to travel to events for MLG. Um, myself as a cameraman, he as an admin. I knew, I knew I wanted to be an on-camera talent. Um, yeah, I wanted to get there. Uh, but they already had their hosts. Uh, they had their commentators. And there was better commentators than me for StarCraft. I would not argue with anybody for that. <laughs> but then League of Legends was coming up. Um, and we had, I think, the first ever official tournament for League of Legends, um, uh, in North America, and they needed a host. And I brought my suit jacket just in case, just in case I needed a house. Kind of like always be prepared uh, scenario. And they um, reached out to me a little bit ahead of time. And they asked like, hey, do you want to commentate League of Legends? And ooh, I was tempted. But I knew there was better commentators out there. So I'm like, oh, no, reach out to these guys. They had a couple other guys in mind. No, they'll be great. Um, Take that route. I can definitely help as a producer. So came on as a producer, cameraman, still you know helping out for StarCraft II, but then really trying to help League of Legends get on its feet, and they needed a host, and so I told the director, Nexi, I said, I can do it, man, let's do it, and he's like, all right, wear your suit jacket button up, and we'll put you on camera. So the first time I'm on camera for MLG for any esports-related event was for League of Legends, and I come out uh, during this hiccup. They had just added a spectator client to the servers. 
they had one in Europe that was like going on the fritz and it was causing some interruptions with the American ones. So we had a delay. Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, man, we need you to, to tell the audience what's happening, but don't reveal too much, you know, because the because <laughs> the players could hear me. So I jumped back. I jumped on camera. Like, hey, everybody, I'm um, Joshua Gray, your host. Unfortunately, we have a bit of a delay because of these uh, issues. We're working on it. Here's what's happening right now. Only one kill has happened for uh, this team. They currently have this amount of gold, and a tower's at half health. Still anybody's game right now, but that's all that we can tell you as the players are taking a break. Uh, we'll go back to the commentators, give you another update here soon. As soon as I sign off back to the commentators, this kid standing next to me, probably about 13, mm-hmm. looked up to me and went, Wow! That was really epic. <laughs> I went, thanks, kid. And I went to the back, and bro, the people on the production line were like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. You're going to be hosted for StarCraft. It was like that. You're going to be hosted for StarCraft. Yeah. You did such a great job initially out there. Boom. And I started hosting for StarCraft. Uh, so being at the forefront of this new pushing trend of StarCraft two and League of Legends, mm-hmm. while esports is, again, on the rise after the bubble pop in 2008, yeah. Uh, was right place, right time, and to really utilize my skills to be on camera and get better. Mind you, rusty, nervous, absolutely. And only having that one interview question, how do you feel? Yeah, that's not as uh, that's not as in-depth as other interview questions. But what I learned, too, is that the interview is a two-way street. And I'd explain to players, like, hey, man, listen, I wasn't able to see the game, so I can't dive into the gameplay. But we're going to talk about your emotions. I'll try to phrase it a different way. But this is me. Um, setting you up to talk about whatever you want to talk about. So if you're just yeah. like, good, and that's all you say, that's bullshit, dude. I mean, you, you yeah. have got to make the effort as a personality and entertainer to expand on it. And I would try to have a really quick pre-interview or something like that with folks. Um, and I would, just, I would get better. The players would get better. Everybody would get better. Um, one, one, the second MLG event when I was full-on, the host or the sideline reporter for mm-hmm. StarCraft Two tournaments delayed as soon as we start because Battle.net's down, right? Or they can't, mm-hmm. they don't have all the IPs whitelisted on the Battle.net servers, all that other bullcrap that could have been fixed if we just had LAN. Yeah. So I go interview White Raw, this Ukrainian player, fan favorite, and I'm just pulling up questions because I know the guy, I've watched the guy, I've watched his content, um, and we had just some fun questions. Crowd really loved it. Then threw it back to the desk. Producers again, like, dude, that was great. That was awesome. And just having those experiences, they, they you know, they took a chance on me. But this mm-hmm. is what I was doing ever since I was five on stage, singing and dancing. Yeah. Um, but but let me hone in as you know as a host and use the improv skills and kept doing more and more more and more of those shows. Uh, I graduated 2012. Uh, with my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in acting, and I had two job offers. One was MLG in New York. The other was NASL in California. Now, I I was known as the MLG guy for a while, but I was like, yo, I'm an independent contractor, and there's this yeah. other tournament in California. Uh, well, actually, they were doing the finals up in Toronto, and I made this Reddit post, not really thinking anything of it other than trying to answer everybody's question of like, hey man, you should host for NASL, you should host for NASL. Oh, he can't, he's part of MLG. I was like, guys, I'm independent, okay? Yeah. I'd love to host for NASL, but it's not up to me, it's up to them and their production crew. Well, when I posted that on the StarCraft 2 Reddit and I went and saw, what did I go see? I think I went and saw um, Prometheus. Yeah, the film Prometheus. Mm-hmm. All right, film. Yep. You know, And I came out and I checked my phone. Like one of the top posts on Reddit for the day, like uh, over a thousand <laughs> wow. upvotes on the StarCraft Two Reddit. Everybody's pouring their support from 
uh, Total Biscuit. May he rest in peace, man. He was awesome advocate, yeah. a great person. Uh, he and his wife were always very excellent to me. He gave me a ride from uh, the MLG in, in uh, L.A. to wow. Anaheim for BlizzCon. Like, yeah, all great people. And I was very sad for his passing. Um, yeah, but, they, you know, they were definitely a big part of the StarCraft II scene to push that. Um, and to have... Just the continual, you know, uh, sometimes I feel like every six weeks, but it's about every quarter having an MLG event, honing the skills, telling the stories, getting better and better, uh, was put me in a great position to have the choice of either going to MLG or NASL. I did the one event to NASL uh, after making that post because then they contacted me like, hey, we won't pay you anything. Um, and I had a, I had an agent at the time in the, in the esports realm. Uh, mm. We won't pay you anything, but we'll cover your flight and you'll be part of the crew. We'll get you a hotel, everything. And I was like, great, sounds awesome. And I felt kind of bad, too, because it put them in, a, in, a, in this position where, well, the audience wants him, the crowd wants him, we'd love to have him, but he's not part of the budget. And now mm. as a producer, I see like, ooh, that's really tough. Uh, and yeah. so I did feel a bit bad because I, you know, I was turning this campaign of like, get him in there, get him in there. It worked. Either way, it worked. We all benefited from it. The show was awesome. And I created a great relationship with a lot of the people there uh, that have become friend that have become friends ever since. You know, Ben Nickel, he was there yeah. along with Rotterdam as you know the faces of uh, NASL, and uh, they've gone on and done great things. You know, Ben worked for Red Bull for a while. Now he's over uh, working for an, uh, an official team in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a number of talented individuals that came to NASL in uh, Rancho Cucamonga, California. I came on minimum wage, packed everything in my car, and drove there and worked minimum wage there for a couple months until things were starting to get pretty thin. Myself Mm -hmm. and a couple other people were like, this is getting tough, man. I don't know if we can make this work. But then we got the World of Tanks contract, and then Mm -hmm. they were able to afford a salary for me. Then I could have my own apartment. Then I was able to pay off a little bit more of my debt and and find some balance uh, financially. And from there at NASL, we really had an awesome crew that started to refine what we could do and become better storytellers in the esports space. Uh, we were doing that for StarCraft II, but then Blizzard was starting to take over more of StarCraft II mm-hmm. uh, with the WCS, where we weren't really happy with the overall planning that they had because it seemed it curtailed a lot of the grassroots growth and the things that um, people had invested either time or their own money in to, you know, the NESL league or this other league or that other league, but then Blizzard was kind of taking it all over. Um, but to have the outlet that we could still have our independent voices and create other content, so we had this talk show called The Pulse, um, mm-hmm. which was this pundit show. I really honed our skills of how to be better writers, present ideas, put together packages, and uh, then the, the World of Tanks show, which, you know, World of Tanks, if you're a fan of the game, you'll be a fan of the game. If you're not a fan of the game, tough to watch. Um, yeah. It was more of the flexing my acting muscles and making sure, sure. people were excited. <laughs> but at the same time, have the respect and and put the time in to learn the game, why the players love the game. And yeah, I was excited. I was genuinely excited when these guys would execute these certain plans and how they mm-hmm. would pay off. Because from a military standpoint, from the uh, strategy standpoint... Uh, it was cool to see that uh, executed. Just tough because it's not the most exhilarating game to watch when sure. you're seeing two tanks in a uh, in a city not moving, right? Right. But right. we 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 had the contracts from Wargaming. We made that a thing for uh, about a year, a little bit more than that. Um, then ESL, which was doing gangbusters in Europe, was coming to America, and they were going to hire this team that they called ESS 
which is already a company that was already doing a lot of esports and um, solutions for conventions, trade shows, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. people that had been known in the esports scene for quite a while. So it wasn't just this ragtag group of investors out of nowhere. It was grassroots people that had already formed their business that ESL America was coming in and, and gonna that was going to be the core team. So they had contacted me saying, would you want to be part of this team? I said, if you guys get the World of Tanks contract, like obviously I'll come over. My biggest scare was I already have a great relationship with Wargaming and a steady paycheck. If that's going to become disrupted, if, if I leave ESL and I'm back to minimum wage again or it's... You know, it's a shot in the dark. I don't want to be in that position. I already felt I was in a good place. Well, ESL America got the World of Tanks contract. Unfortunately, NASL folded because they weren't having Mm -hmm. enough money coming in uh, with no more contracts from Blizzard at the time. So a lot of the crew that was part of NASL moved over to ESL America. Slowly but surely. At first, it was myself and like six people total that were the first hires. The studio Mm -hmm. wasn't even built yet. We were building the studio, putting it together. Uh, but then more and more people were added on contractor-wise, all of like the core team of what made NASL great. And it was that core team of people along with more people that made the, the MKX Pro League. So yeah. it was, yeah, it was kind of this who's who of Southern California that loved esports, that was kind of making a job out of it, that loved the StarCraft II events. Then it was, oh, here we have a full-fledged studio, and now we get to pitch our show to or like how we would want to do it, how I would want to do it to uh, Warner Brothers, the second largest right. media company in the world that is only a 10-minute drive away. Yeah. So I remember um, actually the, and this probably is the case for a lot of folks in the fighting game community, but kind of the Fatal 8 stuff is where you really you know, hopped onto my radar, and I was like, wow, these guys are doing awesome stuff. Yeah, the Fatal 8, still one of my favorite events of all time. That's what changed, that changed the world. Uh, that that f- was four years ago when we made that trailer. Still one yeah. of my favorite trailers, you know, where people got people talking and excited. Yep. Um, I was actually rewatching that today. It's pretty surreal. <laughs> you, were, yeah. you, were, you were clean shaven in it. I know. I so I I'm gonna give you an exclusive. I want to <laughs> bring that clean shaven character back for a trailer. I want to film here in Seattle for the announcement of the battle for Seattle. Yes. I have I have the idea of what I want to do. Um, it's just the money to shoot it. Is not it's like do I pay off a credit card or do I film this dope ass trailer right? It's like more of I better pay off the credit card. Um, but yeah, Mister Gray is still around. Okay. <laughs> and good to know. Good and to he, know. He's just up in Seattle and he's putting together the battle for Seattle. Um, the battle for Seattle is an online tournament. It's going to start uh, online. Two hundred fifty bucks my own money. I'll throw up as a prize pool for top four. I want to do a number of them throughout the summer, uh, both on PlayStation and on Xbox. But I want it to lead into. This four-man or woman invitational, mm-hmm. first to ten tournament format. They play from the house here. I crown the champion with a belt, the Emerald City belt, and the ruler nice. will be known as the the winner will be known as the ruler of the Emerald City. And they will keep that belt and take that belt with them all for the rest of the year and the upcoming years until I'd host another belt match either a year later or six months later. But I want that narrative to be here up in Seattle. I fly them up to the house. We do a dope mm-hmm. house party, have a great tournament. That's the core of it, right? So yeah. I want to I want to do that four-person tournament over Labor Day weekend, which everybody's going to be in town for PAX West. A yep. lot of my friends will be here. I think it's going to line up perfectly. It's just I don't want to overcommit um, because financially, you know, I don't want to be in a position where, oh, I, I said I was going to do this and I was going to do this prize pool. Yep. You know, like ten thousand dollars or whatever. I don't have that <laughs> I don't have that money and I don't want to try yeah. to oversell it. So I want to just grow it small, build up my viewers uh, viewership 
and Patreons using uh, through my podcast, through my reports, through my streaming, and just build it up from there incrementally. And I'd much rather have that approach um, if I don't have, you know, two and a half million dollars to play with from Warner Brothers to create a couple leagues, right? So sure. Being in that position, pitching those shows, and 100% having all the confidence uh, in what we wanted to accomplish paid off once Fatal 8 happened because yeah. it, it became no longer just a, a pipe dream, a vision, but it became real on paper, and Warner Brothers was thrilled, and that is how all that stuff started. So from a top-down approach, love to do more, absolutely. If Warner Brothers mm. wants to call me and say, hey, I'd love for you to produce this or that, I would totally do it. But if I'm not getting those phone calls from a producer from a producer role, I'm just gonna do it myself with, with whatever I yeah. you know with whatever I can with my gig internet speeds from a house <laughs> that uh, that's paid off you know absolutely and, and that's the beauty of new media is I can yep. still reach a pretty big audience doing something like that in comparison to a top down huge budget um, you know type type of tournament so that that definitely has been a wonderful experience to have all those tools. Um, yeah. body of work and to walk into a room and go yes I have the experience necessary to put together put together a show on the internet that can reach 25 30 million people within a year right yeah. um, it, it's a wonderful accomplishment and and it was so good that they put it on television it was the first Absolutely. ever uh, uh, from yeah. what, from what I've seen first ever video re- uh, game related uh, tournament on network television ever on the CW and it's still one of yeah, the most chasing watched. chasing the cup yeah exactly but you know TV's old it's like releasing an album on a cassette right nobody would do sure. that anymore uh, yeah. and and you know esports and, and competition belongs on the internet because that's where most things belong these days but uh, yeah right. quite a, quite a ride my friend I mean even looking back at four years ago yeah. all the stress of putting together the fatal eight and uh, finally executing on that show and how well it and how well it did and and three seasons of the MKX Pro League uh, a season of injustice 2 the GameStop hometown heroes it's 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 been quite a journey but also uh, you know for any young person out there that's like you know how do I get into this or how do I start my career to give me the tools that I need to pursue what I want to do. Sometimes you got to do projects for them. You know, you may not be the biggest fan of the game or that specific project or this art piece or this commission or whatever, but just give it your all. It's going to refine your tools. It's going to make you better at what you do so that when you have the opportunity to do a show that you want to do, you have you have all the tools sharpened. You are ready to execute. You have the vision. You have the structure. You've learned from all the pitfalls of what not to do. So the show is going to be even that much better when you when you uh, put it out to the world. And that's what the Fatal Eight was. It was right. this hardcore team of passionate people that had been working on storylines from StarCraft to World of Tanks, League of Legends, Dota Two, and now had the opportunity to take everything they had learned from the new media space. And to apply it to something that the whole world knows, and that was Mortal Kombat, man. Oh, even saying this out loud, like I'm like, this is this is me. This is what I did. But it, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's quite awesome, a ride. And and on, ride. on that same point, you know, when you look back at what what's been roughly a decade of, of hosting esports events and honing your craft, is there a specific moment or event that really stands out to you as you know your favorite or something that really defined you? The Kespa introductions for the StarCraft Brood War pros that were just transitioning to StarCraft Two. That was a very big deal. Uh, Kess was a Korean esports association. They had pretty much made esports or were part of the groups that showed esports could be a viable mainstream or not just mainstream, but a reality. Um, mm. Because this was a government official from Korea. These are the government uh, entity body from Korea 
uh, that was putting StarCraft Brood War matches on their, you know, on their television stations. And you had thousands of fans filling up an airline hangar, you know, just going crazy seeing these players come down. So these guys were legends. You know, you had Flash, Bisu, um, Jadong, just names that if you were fans of Brood War watching these clips, hell, right. even before like YouTube was invented of these guys, you know, on forums <laughs> of these videos of, of, you know, what Boxer could do with, with uh, the Terrans. It was awesome. It was this, it was this bridging the gap, build, or building the bridge really of what, the East had done, especially Korea, to maximize the potential of uh, you know players, viewers, interaction, media for a video game for StarCraft. And now they were transitioning to StarCraft Two. Unfortunately, StarCraft Two was not the same, obviously, as Brood War, um, because people were seeing the success of esports and the potential of it because of um, uh, live streaming like Twitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't really do it with DirecTV because which who, who has DirecTV at 17? Nobody, right? Like, right. I, I don't know anybody who has a satellite dish anymore. But back then, that was really their only outlet uh, mm-hmm. was you know DirecTV and and whatnot. So a lot of the technology was there to really make this explode, and it was exploding. The um, the moment where we knew the Kessa players were coming was just like this next level. Okay, the old veterans, the old guard. The gods of the previous game are now coming to StarCraft 2 and they're going to showcase their skill and their talent. And we got to do something big. So we were having this introduction and this is this is sometimes the scramble of production. Sometimes it comes down this close to the wire. Uh, Puckett, mm-hmm. who is the overall producer for the show, uh, known from his uh, uh, Halo fame, great commentator, mm-hmm. great guy. I uh, was like, hey, uh, we're going to do the intros for Kespa. We're thinking like we'll do the Terrans first and the Protoss first. And mind you, this is like 20 minutes before the intro. And I'm, and I'm writing it out like, no, 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 we'll do it this way. Flash is going to be last, okay? I'm going to do their uh, quick intro, uh, a call sign or like a nickname, and then their gamer tag, right? Some of them didn't even have nicknames like... Um, mm-hmm. You know, Flash, you know, had a nickname and all, all these others. So I just made one up on the spot. And they all, um, like Soul Key didn't have a uh, nickname. So I called him the Grim Reaper. It's like, from <laughs> nice. this team, the Grim Reaper, Soul Key. And the players were almost one-upping each other, right? So I told them, like, hey, I'm going to give you the microphone. You can say something quick uh, in English or you can say it in Korean, whatever you want to say. You're just going to have the mic for a sec and then give it back to me after you come out. So I have my card. I've, I've been practicing in the back, rehearsing over and over and over again just mm. to make sure I get all the names right, all the teams right, all the nicknames right, and the <laughs> cadence feels right. Yeah. It is It is every every ounce of my being is pouring over this to make sure it's excellent, right? I'm in, I'm in the back. And I think uh, J.P. McDaniel uh, took a picture of me in the back rehearsing against the wall just over and over again. Oh, wow. So – we get down to it, and we tell the players, like, hey, we'll let you say something. One play- or one player wanted to say something. Well, then the other players figured out that it was good. they could have an opportunity. So then they all wanted to say something. So it's right. about five minutes till we go live, and I, I got Wani there. Wani Kim, who is our translator and Korean liaison, and uh, he, he and I were coordinating with the players and trying to produce exactly what we wanted to do. So I told him, okay, here's the lineup. Here's what's going to happen, and this is, you know, this is what we're going to do. They said, great. So I come out there and I have this little speech again, no teleprompter. <laughs> it's going on the top <laughs> of my head. I got my card there for everybody's name. And I go, okay, folks, you know, uh, we we welcome these players into their transition to StarCraft II. So to everybody watching around the world and everybody here in Anaheim, California, are you ready? <sighs> Just 
Everybody's so goddamn pumped to see this yeah. moment. This is this is the history of Brood War. What people had been doing online for the longest time that you know mainstream media had no idea was happening. Now here we are on the internet broadcasting to the entire world. I don't know what viewership we had, but it was at least over a hundred thousand, I think, for that time. Yeah. Maybe even more. Wow. Uh, I started introducing the players. One of them does a backflip on stage, right? <laughs> They're all trying to one up each other. Yeah. The uh, final three, I, I really lined up. Was it Jadong that was second to last? Um, I think it's Bisu, Jadong, then Flash. So Bisu comes out. He's like, hey, everybody, great to be here. Jadong comes out. He does a big pose, shouts out to the crowd, happy to be here. They're nuts. And then the final player, Flash. And I go, ladies and gentlemen, our last player. And you can hear it start to get louder. Flash, 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 flash from the audience. It starts building. It starts building. It starts building. And then I just, just, oh, I just with all of the vibrato that I could, flash, boo, everybody's going nuts, dude, nuts. He comes out. And then the producer's like, are we throwing to the desk? I don't know what we're doing. And then I, I threw to the desk after a moment and... I think it was uh, day nine. I think it was, no, it was uh, Dan Stimkowski. It was Artosis, Tasteless and Artosis, which was even mm. more great to have the guys sure. who had sacrificed everything, were living barely like paycheck to paycheck, if that, jumping over the turnstiles at the train station because they didn't have enough money to get on the subway. These guys mm. helped make StarCraft what it what it was and what it is. And so it was all this just kind of my passion for a game that I love as a kid. Again, being manifest, using my skills as a performer to introduce players that I had watched years ago online. It was just a, an awesome moment for everyone, everyone. And to yeah. be at the center of it, you know, the master of ceremonies, to make sure everybody felt that uh, was a next level moment. And so, so many people were going nuts at how awesome that presentation was. I had so many great compliments. The after party, people were shouting me out. Um, awesome. And so it really, it, it allowed me to shine and to show people this is what I can do in the moment and it worked. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that was definitely one of those moments. Who? What else? Um, I would say. Do you remember the? Do you remember the uh, the day you met Ed Boon? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I the first thing I thought was like his eyebrows are real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not Velcro. No. It's super awesome, dude, man. And it's like it's like meeting Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know, here's a man who created a franchise that has been part of our cultural zeitgeist and part of my life ever since I was a kid. He's been, always been gracious. Uh, every time I do a Mortal Kombat or a NetherRealm event and you guys see me on camera, you're seeing me on the mm. best day of my life. I mean, I really yeah. ask, ask some more. So he, he's been wonderful. The whole crew at NetherRealm has been wonderful. And even, you know, I told him like, hey, Ed, I have this, you know, it's kind of script idea. Uh, maybe for like a side animation project for Mortal Kombat or, you know, I got this script. I can't give it to him because uh, the union, right? If, if I give it yeah. to him, he reads it and all of a sudden I see maybe a kernel of one of my ideas in a future Mortal Kombat or Injustice game, then that opens up a can of worms and lawsuits and everybody wants to avoid that, right? Sure. So sure. I tell him like, hey, you know, I had these ideas, but I need to go through a literary agent first. And he maybe just smile and placate me, but he's like, I'd love to read it. And yeah. And it's like awesome because he he knows and the NetherRealm team knows how much work, passion, and my name putting on like, you know, as a performer to be mm. attached to what they've created. And for yeah. them to just even, one, even acknowledge me, but two, when they say you're family, you are family. Yeah. We want you to be 
the face and voice. We want you to be at any event that you can for us. Like it's 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 terrific, man. <laughs> Capital T, oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And also just to I'm sure. the fuel of not letting him down. You know, I think yeah, I think that'd be what would be the worst day of your life? It's like the day that I let Ed Boone down, which has not happened. I hope never happens. So, I don't think it will. Yeah. So there, there's that tier, but then. Um, you start to kind of get past that fanboying and just shooting the shit, talking about life, yeah. talking about this, you know, meeting his son, seeing how excited they were for Cyberpunk 2077. I was in a, uh, this presentation room, and the Cyberpunk guys over at CD Projekt Red were so excited to meet Ed Boon. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, he's a great guy. And so I'm sitting there watching them geek out, meeting him and stuff. I'm going, oh, yeah, this is this is why we do it, man. This is so cool. Yeah. Uh, but g- getting past that pedestal, I think I think that's tough for any amazing artist to be placed on such a high pedestal that people don't treat you as a human. Um, and I've, I've had to work on that a little bit because when I'm around Ed, it's almost like I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> uh, but you get through it. And you just sure. talk about fun stuff. And, you know, after I do a show and he comes and he compliments me, he's just like, man, that was so great. It was terrific. I'm just like, dude, this is why I do it. I mean, the paycheck's exactly. great. But to have that type of praise is awesome. And uh, when when real recognizes real, when an artist recognizes, you know, how hard it can be to be on camera for that amount of time or to come up with those questions or to host or even commentate and make sure you're engaging in the audience having a good time for, you know, eight hours, it, it can yeah. be very, very taxing. And when they can recognize uh, what talent it takes and I can recognize what talent it takes to put together a AAA game that looks as good as Mortal Kombat, it's, it's just artists appreciating other artists, bro. And it's a great circle yeah. to be in for sure. Absolutely. And uh, so to flash forward to the present a bit, you mentioned before, you know, you made a pretty big life change moving uh, from the L.A. area to Seattle, kind of back in your home state of Washington. Uh, you mentioned, you know, you're kind of living the bar life now working <laughs> with the folks at uh, uh, Radiator Whiskey. Um, so, yeah, what's what's kind of this this new life? How's this new lifestyle been for you? Uh, tell you what, the first year, you know, there's a lot of that self-doubt. There's a quote of. Uh, my agent had in Virginia, the greater the artist, greater the doubt. I'm like, I don't know if I'm that good of an artist <laughs> with all this doubt. But uh, I'll give you the, the reasoning why. One, ESL, America, and I uh, were parting ways um, for a number of reasons. Still, no burn bridges. Great people. Mm-hmm. Would love to work with them in the future. Absolutely. It just kind of was overall where media was going and where I wanted to be financially as soon as possible. And that was one, debt-free. So yep. L.A., I was doing fine. You know, I was paying my bills, had a nice little studio apartment, paying my rent, no no big issues. Um, but I wanted to branch out on my own, one, because of the excellent relationship I had with Warner Brothers, uh, but two... I had a lot of ideas that I wanted to execute at ESL America that everybody liked uh, and the the headquarters in Europe liked. But there was this, uh, I don't want to call it friction, just kind of the growing pains of the ESL America office getting in all this revenue and trying to grow and almost, you know, becoming autonomous compared to Europe. But then Europe still wanting to do things their way. They still wanted to do like six to eight hour broadcasts of Counter-Strike, you know, a number of times a week. And I would disagree with that going I don't know any audience that is going to be able to digest that amount of content every week I mean what type of narrative storyline do we want to be telling and it wasn't necessarily about the narrative storyline it was about the numbers try to push out as much numbers the minutes watched because that's what the investor that's what the money men are looking at so you have all this overhead for a global company that is focused on pumping out that much content as much as they can things things started to become uh, quantity over quality 
And not just in the end product, but also hours worked, expectations of people there. So the growing pains were tough. And um, I just felt that I I needed to go back to being independent and see what opportunities would come my way. I still had contracts with ESL as an independent contractor. Um, over the that that's how I did GameStop Hometown Heroes. I was still working mm-hmm. at ESL as an independent contractor. Still great relationship with them. Things were fine. Then December two years ago, I came up to Seattle uh, with my cat and uh, mm-hmm. a friend of mine. Spent Christmas up here in Seattle with my parents. Had a nice little time, and I started to have this feeling of. Oh, this is what seasons are. I have forgotten seasons. Oh, this <laughs> yep. is this is technically my hometown that I really never knew as an adult because I moved when I was 14. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these kind of feelings started to come, and my cat loved it up here. There's a backyard. She was playing in the backyard, the garden, all that stuff. I'm like, oh, this is better than a studio apartment, right? So, yeah. so those types of feelings, machinations of, oh, this could be my future started to develop. Then... Um, the trends of what was happening in gaming and esports and the overall financial state of where we were, I thought, okay, it's 10 years since the last economic crash. We're on borrowed time. All these banks have taken these loans from the government on taxpayer money for no interest. As soon as the interest rates go up even a percent, it's going to fall. It's going to collapse again. So where mm-hmm. do I want to be if you know, if I if it was 2008 and the esports bubble collapsed, it can definitely collapse again in 2018, 2019, 2020 with all this crazy sure. investor money. The Overwatch League asking all this money for franchises, um, de- uh, um, developers and publishers wanting to take things more in house and to develop esports more in house compared to hiring companies like ESL to execute on it. So I could I could see the shift and the change, and I was burned out of living. Two studio lives, one at NESL and then ESL for uh, right. you know a good chunk of time. On top of auditioning for commercials and trying to you know play the acting game here and there, and did a, a, a couple student films, which was fun. And I could see myself still riding that life, but again, it was: do I want to be at the same place I am financially in a couple years and hopefully have some big break, or do I want to live in a house? That's in my hometown mm-hmm. where there's actual water, there's rain. Another big thing too is the drought and the fires and just the overall environment of California where I'm like, man, I'd rather be somewhere that has water. So all those things kind of yeah. compounded into do I want to uproot, leave my life in California and go to Seattle? And it started to become a definitive yes. Um, I talked to Warner Brothers. They're like, yeah, dude, no problem. Like, we'd love to have you only 10 minutes away, but obviously we still want to keep working with you um, if you move up to Seattle, which case in point, we have been. Uh, So, so, And then uh, the time I was about to leave, ESL offered me a job, like another full-time job. And they're like, hey, what do you want money-wise? Just let us know what you want. We'd love to have you back. And it was very tempting, my friend. It was tempting because Mm -hmm. I could see myself getting a significant chunk of change, having just to bite the bullet, do things how Europe wants to do, and execute and make the shows the best I can with what I had. It definitely mm-hmm. could have been a choice for me, but I knew I needed to take a, a break from that studio event and just make my own stuff, make my own content on YouTube, garden, work on a house, uh, not have to pay rent or mortgage, and and cultivate some cannabis. Just things that was outside yeah. of video games, right? Um, and, keep, and keep it part-time. Well... That last year was tough because my income went way down <laughs> compared to, yeah. to compared to previous years. 
Uh, the house needed some serious work when it came to cleaning out the clutter and the junk and the things my parents had been trying to sell. That was my grandparents. Uh, and going through all that stuff, not just the house, but the garage. And then having the vision. The vision of, mm. I want to have a podcast and I want to launch it by December. I want to um, be prepped and ready to stream the hell out of Mortal Kombat 11, do my own stuff from the comfort of my own home. I don't have to search mm. for a venue that's going to cost me $15,000 just for the venue fee, let alone internet drop, power, equipment, all that stuff. That'd be quite yeah. a hassle when I can just do it from a home that's already paid off, where I'm where the only real expense outside of the equipment that I bought for streaming and for cameras and microphones is the $80 internet charge, and it's a gigabyte up and down. It's the fastest <laughs> internet speeds you know I've ever, I've ever seen in America. Sure. So it became, what is the next best step for me for the rest of my 30s? Let me move my home base to, to a house that I have full control of, um, that gives me autonomy. You know, my Technically, it's my parents' house. They own it. It was my grandparents' house. My parents like, you can live here as long as you want. No rent. Just take care of all the utilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they bought a trailer. And if whenever they decide, they're out in Virginia right now, and they're grandparents to my niece, so they're, they're having a great life. But whenever they want to come back to <laughs> Seattle, they'll just hook up in the trailer, and the only thing we really got to share is, you know, one bathroom, and everything else is just pretty much autonomous. So yeah. as, a, as a 33-year-old bachelor... You know, for your parents to say, yeah, you got to move in back with your parents, but we're not going to be here. We'll be living in the trailer and you can do whatever you want to do the house. I'm like, well, that seems like a beautiful investment. Um, yeah, that's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet deal. I could not say no. So ultimately it came down to I could not say no. Um, the reason why I wanted to do the bar life is I needed to have an income separate from video games and esports. And, you know, I have a great agent up here at the Actors Group. They're phenomenal. Um, yeah. You know, not as many gigs up here in Seattle compared to L.A., but a lot of voiceover stuff, right? Cool. So it, it just was, how can I still continue the momentum of my career yet diversify myself to where if any economic crash happens, I don't have to worry about rent. There's plenty of water, and, <laughs> and, I, and I'm working in an industry that's not as effective, the service industry. It was a humbling experience to be, you know, taking orders from customers where I'm like, you know, bitch, I was on TV two weeks ago. I'm going to be taking this shit, you know. But just to hone and be like, listen, man, you're only as good as your last show. And these people don't care about video games. What they care about is having a good time. And you as a host at the core of who you are and what you want to do in your profession, that's what you're good at, making sure people have a good time. So I started as a mm-hmm. bar back at White Swan Public House, filling waters, doing all, you know, the dishware, um, learned how to bartend, bartend a bit there, and then became a cocktailer slash host at, at Radiator Whiskey. Both excellent restaurants. Radiator Whiskey is like a staple of Seattle. That thing has four and a half stars on Yelp. I get, I've had five people randomly that I've known throughout my life in my esports career over the last 10 years walk through that bar and I had no idea that they were coming and they had no idea I was working there. So it's that type of, it's, it's a very unique, pretty awesome place. Um, It's not too big. It's a little bit smaller Mm -hmm. compared to other bars and stuff, but it's just big enough. So to have lucked out and to work with some excellent people who totally support me and they see what I've done with Mortal Kombat this year and they're just like, what? This is crazy. And, (laughs) and to have a customer or two recognize you like, wait a second, were you that guy? Like, yeah. Uh, and I get to wear, you know, my Mortal Kombat 11 shirt occasionally at the bar. Nice. It, it feels good. It's still stressful. It's hard work. And sometimes you get customers where you're like, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, you just got to bite I'm the sure. bullet, make sure they have a good time. And I'm still sharpening my tools as a host. I'm, I'm bouncing yeah. around, making sure people are good and entertaining them. So it, it, 
I'm, I'm glad I've done it, but I tell you what, man, there were some days where I'm like, geez, you know, I could have really taken that money from ESL and just continue to stay in LA and I'd probably be going to Vegas right now and gambling for a bit. Like, no, no, <laughs> nope. I'm independent. Yeah. I'm trying to be as frugal as I can, trying to not spend money. And those are some excellent lessons. I wish I learned those lessons in my twenties, but your twenties, you know, you have a lot of fun and enjoy it stuff. But now my early thirties, it's be financially independent as fast as you can cultivating a garden. Dude, I would complain so much. My parents say, Hey, can you go weed the garden? I got to weed the garden. I want to go play video games. So I, <laughs> now I'm like, yeah, I'll go weed the garden because I can see the benefit of doing it for sure. Yeah. Becoming an, a, sure. becoming an adult. Seattle's a great place to be. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, friction right now with Amazon and deservedly so they need to be paying their taxes. And yeah. when they hire people to come in at uh, way, oh, I don't want to say overpriced, but way higher than the median salary. And they're buying up the mm-hmm. homes for even more money. So the people around them can't afford it. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a problem in a lot of different cities. But they're, yeah, and they they almost came here to New York, which people were not yeah, really thrilled about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they, they to, There's some very good conversations about unions right now, both in you know the Amazon world, but also the video game world of how yeah, you know people should probably unionize. Um, but it, it, it this is a technical town that is booming because it's got Amazon, it's got Microsoft, bro. Yeah. Yes, Microsoft is here. I Nintendo. Nintendo is here. Oh. My father worked for Mario A. Sagali, who is this uh, paving company, and he owned a number of real estate and office buildings. When Nintendo first came to America, they rented out one of his buildings, and they named Mario after him, Mario A. Sagali. And my dad told me that story when I was a kid. I'm like, ah, dad, I think you're bullshitting me. Years (laughs) later, when Mario A. Sagali passed away, the article was there saying, like, oh, yeah, Mario was named after him, and he didn't want any money for the rights because he's already rich anyways. I'm like, dude. It was real. Yeah. My d- oh, shout out to my dad. Your dad was not making, not it, up. making yeah. it up. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say that name sounds familiar. I definitely, definitely remember reading that story. So this is an oasis of the tech world, the video game world for sure. And I'm excited to see what Microsoft is doing with Mixer. You know, their their mm-hmm. challenge to Twitch. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be involved with some Mixer stuff here pretty soon. There you go, man. There's an exclusive for you. That's all I can say for nice. right now. Yeah, <laughs> you can definitely push that out. But I definitely uh, definitely cultivating a good relationship with Mixer, and it. It makes a difference when they're in your own backyard. I can hop on a train yeah. and a bus and be at the Microsoft headquarters in two hours. Those two hours allow me to write, read, listen to podcasts, listen to books, uh, and to take advantage of that. And that's another thing that I'm really happy with the location of this house. Because when I go to work downtown at Radiator Whiskey, I walk from my house to the train station, jump on the link train, drops me off, walk to work, get there within an hour and 20 minutes, no problem. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather have that than deal with parking uh, and you know, getting LA traffic. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, LA traffic. After a while, I'm like, bro, they need lift helicopters or something. It just it got <laughs> so ridiculous. So uh, definitely, definitely an increase in, in quality of life when it comes to uh, not having you know transportation stress. Um, sure. But after after one year, and I, I have some great conversations with my bar manager when we close. Uh, she's a great person to talk to and is very supportive yeah. of me. It, it, it's it's been great and it's been great to have a stable of friends that i've made through the service industry that are a lot of fun to hang out with and uh also bro i mean this is the real real secret i needed to meet more women uh i didn't yeah i really uh i really didn't want to uh, date within the esports gaming pool wonderful women that i've met and have considered you know going on a date or be like hmm i maybe you know got some feelings but i don't want to date people i work with because it becomes complicated so i needed to branch out and uh, 
meeting more people and having women flirt with me and give me their number when I'm working has been quite a nice, you know, boost to the ego. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I'll think about it. Do I really do I really want to go spend money getting to meet this person and, you know, they're going to fly out tomorrow and it could be a fun fling and have some fun? Or do I want to go home and play video games and, yeah. really, and really have that that um, conversation with myself is a much better position to be in than to be needy and to be like, oh man, I can't with this girl so hot. Blah, blah, blah. No, I want to do kind of what's the best for me and be honest in the moment. And that, yeah. funny enough, women kind of find that more attractive compared to the, you know, the always being, you know, hungry all the time. Of so course, it, yeah. It's been good for the social life. It's been good always being on my feet. You know, I didn't want to be staring in front of a screen as a full-time mm-hmm. job. I've been doing that for a while. Um, so, yeah, so the bar life's been good to me, man. It's just there's so much more for me to learn in the service industry, uh, especially behind the bar as a bartender uh, or even as a server. And I have so much more, so much profound respect for people that work in the industry. And I look back on the time, so I've walked into a bar like, a, a, like you know, they're closing. We close at midnight, so they're closing. Think of back in the past where this bar's closing at midnight, we walk in eleven fifty five and I'd be all butthurt because they're closing. I'm like right. and now I look back and I'm like, You asshole. Of course, of course, you know, they told you they can't pour you a drink, so they just last call. Of course they did. They want to go home and sleep. They've been working for eight hours on their feet. Uh yeah. I, I'm I'm very grateful that's been instilled in me having worked that way. Um and with uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez being a bartender and mm-hmm. now working uh, so prolifically in uh, politics. And how many actors and performers I've looked up to that when anybody assaults her as a bartender or a former bartender, they're like, yo, man, I was in the service industry for years. It really hones you how to be a better human being. It, it just felt like, oh, I did make the right choice. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I worked in retail for a long time, and it was the same thing. You, you get such a greater appreciation for you know, anyone in, in any place of service. Yeah, and retail is very tough, man, because that is, it is at such a downturn right now with online sales. I, yeah. I went to... Uh, which mall did I? I went to downtown Seattle and went all over the different malls and the department stores and the uh, looked at the higher fashion. Sometimes I'll look out and find some excellent jackets or some stuff and go great. But the last two times I'm gone, I'm like, dude, I can I can get all this stuff done faster on Amazon. Yeah. And I know it it kind of sucks to say that, but it's true. I would rather go to a small little store that has things to try on. Um, with really, you know, really quality stuff, and have one or two customer service people. They're like, "Hey, how's it going, sir? What are your sizes? Let me grab you." Like, they're all like, "Do you need help?" It's like, "No, let me grab you a couple things that I think may look good on you." Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I like this, I like that, I like this. Great, it'll be shipped to you in two days. That is so much easier <laughs> overhead-wise compared to yeah. having a department store that is full, full of items that are not that most of them are not going to be sold, right? So yeah. it's 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 all about this improvement of how can we make the experience better overall and yeah i'd much rather try on the clothes in front of a mirror than wait for them to be shipped to me and try them on for the first time but for the price the accessibility um the variety the you know i can go to a, a levi's store and buy a new pair of levi's for 75 bucks or buy the same pair on amazon for 54 dollars. i'm gonna go with amazon i mean yeah. it's just one-to-one uh, it that makes the most sense for me for as a consumer it's the specialty stores that I'm still like, oh, I want to go talk to a specialist. I want to go physically talk to somebody about this 
you know, like at a hardware store or a garden store. So that stuff's still going to sure. exist. That retail is still going to be there because you need to have experts. But walking into a Walmart and going to the electronics department <laughs> and asking somebody like, hey, does this have up conversion for 1080p and 4K? And they have no idea. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that job doesn't benefit anybody. That person, you know, that person deserves to have a job, but a job hopefully yeah. that is more satisfying. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, retail retail's in a, in a tough spot, man. But I think those those brick-and-mortar smaller stores with, with product examples – um, and having that still personal customer touch, that human, yeah. that human presence, is going to beat out any AI or you know online shopping, unless the online shopping is more convenient or you know what brand you're looking for. But yeah, yeah. Uh, service industry. Shout out to everybody that works in that industry. It, yes, it can, seriously, it can be rough, man. But it definitely has a payoff when you have some great customers or customers that tip you very well, or you see a couple having a great time and they tell you or. And Yelp, oh God, people that work in the industry hate Yelp, and I understand why. I mean, now I'm even kind of over Yelp, but still, when you get the praise on Yelp and they have a picture, like yeah. there's a picture of me on the Radiator Whiskey Yelp, a guy had like a glowing review, and he's like, "This server was awesome." You see me folding napkins. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I'm like, "Yeah, bro, I'm I I feel so in tune with who I am and what I'm doing, where I'm on an internet show." for one of the biggest video games of all time, you know, that Friday, and then I fly back and I'm hosting at a bar that Saturday. It, yeah. it's, it's a cool feeling to have. And, and if anything, it gives me a lot of uh, fuel and positive reinforcement that if I'm having some bad customers or a bad day, I just smile, breathe, cater to them, and then when they walk away, I'll be like, <laughs> yeah, if you guys leave like a one-star Yelp review, I'll just retweet it on my Twitter, you know, which has got um, 10,000 followers and a blue check mark. but like, yeah, hey, I remember these guys. Be careful, restaurant <laughs> owners. You know, they, you know, they were, yeah. and I don't, you know, I, I don't really want to do that because calling out someone no, on the no. internet is, you know, it's a, it's a one-way street of what am I doing, but if it's a really bad customer and they have that threatening, I'm going to one-star Yelp review, like, do it, sir, just so I can tweet it out and tell the world what kind of customer yeah, you are. Yeah, to your 10K followers. Yeah, to my 10, to my 10,000. It's just, it's petty, sure, but that yeah. that thing in the back of your mind is, you know, you have such a great body of work, bro. Don't let don't let these people having a bad take kind of kind of ruin yours. So it's yeah, some good positive reinforcement for sure. And and speaking of body of work, and you know, one of the other great things about you being independent now, as you mentioned, you've been making a lot more of your own content, uh, including the Jay Gray podcast. You've been interviewing a lot of the biggest names in the NRS scene, people like Scar, and uh, you recently had, uh, I always mess up mess up his name, uh, Shajinki. You got it, yeah. Awesome, yeah. I nailed it. Um, and you had Slayer in your first episode. So yeah, what was kind of the, uh, what was the inspiration behind the podcast? And then where do you, uh, where do you, where do you see that going in the future? When I first moved here and I was hanging out a lot with my parents, um, we all smoke weed. So getting to smoke with your parents and watch dope ass interviews <laughs> on YouTube yeah. was kind of this. Yep. Okay. It's time, it's time for me to enter the fray here. Uh, the Joe Rogan podcast, um, yep. definitely was an inspiration because there was a number of them, like with, uh, Paul Stamets, who's a expert on mushrooms up here in the Pacific Northwest. I've listened to that podcast probably like three times because of the science, what they talk about, the passion he has, the information. So the longer form interviews provide much more substantial, relatable, higher quality content and personality of the person compared to a late night talk show where they only get to interview that person for, you know, five to 10 minutes. It's more anecdotal, jokey, it's fun. Don't get me wrong, it has a place and it's it's sure. neat. Uh, the Nicole Kidman... Um, interview on the Tonight Show with uh, Jimmy Fallon. I still get a kick out of that because you could feel the tension in the room. And I've been, I've been in similar scenarios where I've had this amazingly beautiful ten out of ten woman 
show interest in me, but I thought it was a business meeting. And so I'm just like, yeah, okay, I'll throw on a hat and sure. get some cheese or whatever. You know, so so those those <laughs> morsels are great and they're great on YouTube for ten minutes and they're awesome. They're fun. And those yeah. those type of variety shows are still fun. And the reason why they still exist, bro, is because of new media. The, yep. you know, the they're they're able to put the attention spans. Exactly. They're able to put their seven to ten minute acts up on YouTube and everybody's gonna watch it compared to, you know, tuning in at eleven o'clock at night on NBC where uh, you know, I have the broadcast channels because I got a digital antenna. But before, I don't watch anything on NBC or CBS or ABC or Fox or CW unless it's an awards show or a major sporting event, right? So <clears throat> you have you have all that stuff accessible right there on YouTube. I can go to the same platform, watch Joe Rogan, watch Jimmy Fallon, watch Jimmy Kimmel, watch um, a closer look with uh, Seth Meyers. I can watch all that stuff just by pressing mm-hmm. a few buttons. I can put my voice on that same platform. That, to me, is so transcendent of media compared to where it was 10, 15 years ago, where if I wanted to do the yeah. same thing for my house, I need a satellite truck, maybe like a couple of permits, all that stuff. So it, it yeah. was- you can't just decide to be on ABC or NBC exactly. or whatnot. So it was this whole, I don't, I don't know why it t- kind of took so long, but because I grew up with television and you know I watched Comedy Central like every day when they would do reruns of Saturday Night Live and reruns of Conan, it was like the best back-to-back six, like four, five, and six o'clock hour uh, as a kid growing up, just to learn comedy and, and learn what those guys were doing, you know, past my bedtime <laughs> as a kid. Uh, and to realize, like, dude, you can do that same thing from your house that the whole world has access to just as they have the internet was kind of this daunting, maybe it just, just didn't feel as prestigious because of the name brands of those channels and the limitations of television, right? The only way you could get a television, you had to be really, really good. Well, now anybody can be on television because it's called the internet. So it was more of this, you know, Joshua, why are you not doing it? You've got, you got to do this. And I wanted to start with the players of Mortal Kombat because those are players that I know I could deep dive with. They're hungry to have those type of long-form interviews. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have great stories to tell. Scar, one of my favorite sports stories ever. That His team drops him right before the finals. He, do- oh, God, he doesn't yeah. even play the game because he's, one, stressed out and tired. Uh, but two, you know, he's got nothing to lose. And that nothing-to-lose mentality brought him all the way to third place. And he called out his team live on Disney XD. Bro, I yep, mean, I remember that. so good. So to have him uh, interviewed and to really dive into that emotionally and to really click with somebody, you know, on a friendship level uh, and one for them, you know, for them to have the trust that I buy their plane ticket and bring him to the house, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's this it's a great type of camaraderie. And during that podcast, he got the email to be part of the E-League uh, stream event that they just had, uh, the showdown. Wow. And then he gets picked up by a team later that Friday. It was like, yeah. yes, yes. That's incredible. That's why we do it. What a what yep. a beautiful way to push your narrative and then to keep pushing that podcast out. So I get the benefits of the views. You get the benefits of your story being told and the whole scene wins. So it was just, it was just I cannot not do it, right? At the low-hanging fruit, I have the studio that I built out of my garage. Um, I have the space. And now that I've done three, the Shijiki Deek one kind of fell into my lap because I told him, hey, let's do it. You're up in Canada. And he let me know like a like a week and a half before, hey, I can make it work this Sunday, blah, blah, blah. Oh, let's do it. Let's do it. And for mm-hmm. for uh, the players to want to be on the podcast, to have the excitement to be there, 
it's awesome. It's it's exactly oh, yeah. what I wanted, and I, I'm starting with the Mortal Kombat pros. I want to branch into more of the whole fighting game community, and eventually, I'd love to have Ed Boon on that podcast, man. I mean, oh, that'd be incredible. To, I'm sure I'd have to pre-approve the questions with Warner Brothers and stuff, but to really, I'm sure, deep dive into Ed. How frustrating is it when you get all these people tweeting you about rain? Like, <laughs> you <know laughs> just throw your phone, you know. Um, and, yeah. and, and I really want game developers to have more of a voice. Uh, yes. Recently, Bioware tanked. I mean, just what a craptastic experience Anthem has been. And yeah. now with Jason Schreier. Did, did you? Yeah, I was going to ask if you read that I report. I did, dude. I I I loaded that on the on my laptop, started a fire in my fire pit, smoked up a joint, and read that article because I know I was going to deep dive into yep. the emotions and the stress. And I, I, I know of the crunch. Netherrealm goes through the crunch. They go through the crunch right before the games come out. It's it's daunting. But as is any piece of entertainment before a Broadway play or uh, mm-hmm. you know a movie with editing, there is that last yeah. that last minute crunch. But when you bake it into the expectation that it almost kills your staff. I mean, we had a lot of we had a lot of close calls, you know, ES, ESL America, but it all came together. There's a couple times it was very, very, very stressful and would give you headaches yeah. and you almost wanted to tear your hair out and scream, but then it all came together and you're super proud of your team. Um, it, it, it's very sad to see and, and you start to hear more of the conversations of unions around video game developers. Um, but with Bioware, the same team, the same names that had made Mass Effect Dragon Age Origins yep. are not there. They're not there anymore. And I would much rather have the podiums, the platforms, and the voices of the game developers themselves, like a Corey Balrog, who you know put together uh, the latest God of War, be yeah. more present and their voices to be more attached to their artwork rather than this game is from Bioware, the same name exactly. you've trusted. Like I don't trust you. You're not the same yeah. people. Um, so I, I hopefully can have that podcast focus more into that realm. Uh, another person that I looked up to in how to build a podcast was Kevin Smith. His initial mm-hmm. Fat Man on Batman episodes where he does long interviews with Mark Hamill. Ooh, man, those are some of my favorites because Mark Hamill was a Broadway actor uh, as well. Yeah. He was in Amadeus and he played Mozart. And I did a production of Amadeus in high school where I played Salieri, the bad guy. And granted, we're you know a small podunk high school in Kansas, but we had a great... Uh, uh, theater teacher, Mr. Uh, Richard Lundin, who really believed in what you know these students could do, and we did Amadeus, and I never left the stage for like two and a half hours, had all these lines, uh, but but that was another moment that I knew that I always wanted to be an actor as well, was, was performing like that, yeah. and having my friends, my fellow friends from other high schools come by and just were, like their mouth was on the ground, man, their jaws just dropped of how much... Uh, acting you know we were doing in that yeah. play and it was a wonderful experience so that um that those moments of being able to tell the stories that i did not know that made me appreciate even more the person and the art of what it takes yeah. to 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 make what you make so those two have been very big influences um and i always knew always knew the J. Gray podcast has to be in person. I can't do it over Skype. Mm-hmm. I did another show called Shifting Gears over 85, I think 85 episodes on my YouTube still. It was more mm-hmm. focused on my MLG days, StarCraft II, League of Legends, overall gaming. I've done that, and I've had my Skype guests, and it was a lot of fun. But this mm-hmm. podcast has to be 
person in the room because there's no substitute for that body language. And now we're no, definitely not. three episodes in, man. And, uh, you know, there, there's always great places for podcasts like yours to, to be able to have those longer form conversations over Skype and stuff. I'm happy to do them. So happy they exist because to me, they're a great form uh, to have for any type of deep diving. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the J Gray podcast, I, I even told some of the potential guests I'm going to have like, oh, let's do over Skype. I'm like, oh, you know what? This is going to be an in-person type of podcast. Uh, it is. It, it does create a very special vibe. You can't really get in any other way. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I need to, uh, I need to make the audio versions of mine and put them up on SoundCloud here pretty soon. It's on my list of things to do. Um, <laughs> because having just the audio version is, is wonderful for a lot of people who prefer it, but the video version definitely, um, is something that I wanted to, to capitalize on too. Uh, so yeah. And I'm, dude, I'm so happy, uh, just even talking about it with you now, because, uh, even thinking about like, I'm going to make a, where am I going to put the podcast? Where am I going to put this? And I'm in this garage yeah. full of stuff from like the 1950s that I got to get rid of. <laughs> uh, you know, all those old board games that are now part of the set, they were in a box. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, you know what? This is, we're talking about gaming. Let's go old school. Let's get a murder. She yeah, wrote game I, up there. I, I really know? dig that. I really dig uh, that, it, that backdrop. Yeah. It felt like, Oh, let me utilize what I have here and, and make mm-hmm. it kind of a little bit more unique and special. But as an artist, bro, and again, to anybody listening, very stressful. How, how are you going to make this out of nothing, right? What is this going to be? Just do it. Just do it. You're going to bumble around. I mean, look at my first episode with Frank. It's so dark because my lighting was not up to par. <laughs> and then my third episode with Chinky Dink is like almost too much lighting, right? So just trying to right. finesse it and get it right is fine. As long as you're proud of the content and the body of the work, it's going to speak for itself. And the beauty exactly. beauty about online, the internet, YouTube, it's, it's not like viewership's going to go down. You're not going to get less viewers. They go up. They continue to go up. Yeah. And more numbers add to more numbers add to more numbers. So yeah, man, I got a big smile on my face being three episodes in for the podcast with something that was just floating around in my mind a year ago. Um, yeah. And Frank Slayer, he was a big inspiration too because him and I had some good talks at like Combo Breaker and CEO. We'd peel away and go <laughs> go smoke a joint and talk about life for a nice. bit. Nice. And, awesome. and I said, you know what, man? I'm going to do a podcast. And he 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 always calls me Jay Gray. So it's going to be called yeah. the Jay Gray Podcast, and you'll be my first guest. And it happened. We made, we yeah. made it happen. You made it happen. Yeah. So so that that it's a great feeling, man. And I'm sure you have a similar feeling with uh, how many episodes that you've done and, and, and yeah, getting the word does. out there. Yeah, it It feels great. It's Again, yeah, it's it's that feeling of it's, it's in your head for so long, and then you finally do it. You know, you people start answering your emails and are down to be on it, and it's yeah it's it's so much fun to put together yeah i mean those ideas absolutely and i i want to take that same type of passion and fire and put it into a movie script i have a few ideas floating out there and i'm friends with uh, one of the co-writers of mortal Kombat, uh sean kittleson awesome dude if anybody who took the time out to like invite you to lunch give you some great books to read just kind of tell you their life story and where to get started from a writing perspective. You know, that person's mm-hmm. a treasure and Sean Kittleson's definitely a treasure. But uh, I keep telling him, yeah, man, this, you know, I'm going to get it to script form. I'll get it on script. I'll send it to you. It's going to happen one of these days. <laughs> it just, you got to sit down and do it. And, yeah. and um, you know, part of me when I get off work, if it's late at night, so I'm going to go to sleep. But then I wake up and I'm like, well, it's my time off. Do I want to catch up on YouTube? Do I want to yeah. write a Jay Gray report? Do I want to work on this? Do I need to want to edit or do I want to write? And sometimes I'll just sit there and veg out and I'll get mad at myself. I'm like, you could have yeah. spent at least an hour working on one of these things. Do it. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, you know public transportation. I'm sitting on the bus for an, or a train for an hour. Hey, you can write. You can write your script for an hour. Get it done. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. It's a good feeling. 
Yeah, who knows? We might have the uh, the Mortal Kombat 12 story mode by Joshua. Ah, Jordan. no, Sean and uh, uh, that <laughs> team are doing well. But you know what I what I would love to do is I would initially I wanted to do it live action, but I may push it to be animated. I want to do a special mm-hmm. forces story, kind of like Marvel Agents of Shield. Yes, yes. But it's these it's the special forces and the lead character. Um, is it's kind of uh, reverse cybernetics instead of him becoming into a cyborg he Mm. got uh hurt almost killed in a fight um and his uh partner who's this uh, female cryomancer kind of like a frost but she's not good with her powers yet uh he's dying but she freezes him to keep him alive and then the special forces Mm -hmm. takes him in and kind of rebuilds some of his organs and stuff with the cybernetics program so he's kind of part machine part man trying to figure out what mortality is as he's sent off on this uh secret mission so that, that's kind of like the kernel of the idea, and it's more of how do I make characters that people care about that are not Mortal Kombat characters? How do you work mm-hmm. in a space that's already owned, that's somebody else's separate IP? All that stuff's yep. very difficult. So I kind of have that one you know, on the shelf, and then I have this other idea that I think I'm really going to dive into here pretty soon. Of, uh, did you ever see the movie Fanboys? Uh, I did not, okay. but I know the general Funny, gist. Funny comedy. group of guys are trying to sneak into... Uh, uh, the Lucas uh, Lucasfilm Ranch and see the first cut of um, Phantom Menace because their friend's dying of cancer. I kind of want to mm-hmm. take that premise, get rid of the dying of cancer for one of the friends, but have a group of friends that are going to a video game tournament. But I'd love to make it Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat, but I'll keep it ambiguous right now. And just the, the four of these people in different parts of their lives. One of them's a little bit older in his 30s. He's kind of like, do I want to give this up? I don't want to be a leader. I don't kind of this reluctant leader, kind of that Aragorn. I don't want this, but yet I'm the best for it. So maybe I should. Sure. And then really show the ins and outs and sacrifice some of these players of what it takes uh, to play these matches. And if you uh, if you lose, you know, all that time sunk into yeah. it. So it's kind of like the mix of the wizard, best of the best, and um, um fanboys so those ideas will generate my mind and i'm like well okay who are the characters what are their struggles then put it to paper and as long as it's my own voice and i feel confident in the first draft then i'll send it over to sean then i'll send it over to people and be like hey (laughs) that's this is yeah this is something that has nothing to do with you know mortal kombat or ip it could be related we could make the tournament that they're fighting in mortal kombat but this is this is this is small scale this is indie film this is something that I could probably make on less than $5 million. And those are really the ones to start with. Those are the ones that yeah. people can go, oh, you do know what you're doing script-wise. You have a little bit of success if you sold that script. Uh, let's bring you on board and see if you have any, any ideas for uh, you know, a DC animated film or this or that. I'd really like to dive into the story realm of animation. I love the video game world, absolutely. But mm-hmm. I think some you know contemporary... Uh, extraneous stories of Mortal Kombat and an animated series on HBO would be pretty dope. I, I'd watch two and a half hours of that. Um, oh, especially yeah. if it's performance captured too. Like imagine if yeah. we had the Mortal Kombat 11 graphics but it was all just a cinematic mode and they made oh. you know, they made another uh, they made an episodic series on HBO like after Mortal Kombat yeah. 11 it was five episodes stuff like that. That stuff I really want to see happen because this yeah. performance capture the evolution of mocap now into performance capture is it's theater with digital assets painted onto it. And I am totally down to watch people like an Andy Serkis perform beautifully as oh, um, yeah. as Golem and Smeagol or as King Kong or as this other character and yet and yet build a whole world in that. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so we'll see, man. So th- that th- those are, you know, 
poker's in the fire right now, things in the fire that I continually think about kind of on a daily basis, but really just to sit down and do it. I needed to just get, I needed to get the podcast and the Jager Report and the YouTube stuff down first and make of sure course. I have a good getting. But hell, even now I'm late on a Jager Report because there's been so much news coming out and I started this other uh, uh, gig that I'll be able to fully announce. I told you earlier, it was with Mixer. Um, yep. It is, is it about a lot going, a lot on. going on. It's, it's a lot it's, happening, but it's, a it's good about thing. balance, right? It's all about balance and not to not to overdo it. I don't want to I don't want to wake up and resent having to upload a video on YouTube because I you know made this schedule that's too arduous for me, you know. But at the same time, I, right. I can't be lazy. Can't be lazy. Yeah, yeah. Balance is certainly everything. Well, Josh, I am super excited to see everything that's coming next for you, including the the work I'm sure you'll be doing for MK11 and future J Gray reports and J Gray podcasts. Before I let you go, uh, where can folks follow you and what are uh, some other things fans of yours should be looking out for? Ooh, you can follow me on all the social channels, Twitch, Mixer, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. It's all Mr. Joshua Gray and my website, MrJoshuaGray.com. I'll be posting a couple more updates and highlights on that website. That's pretty much all of the body of work is going to exist there. And Patreon.com slash Gray. Every dollar helps. Uh, right now, I have enough patrons to pay off my rental costs for my editing software for Adobe. So every nice. every little bit matters. And uh, definitely check out more stuff coming from me on Mixer uh, here pretty soon. And everything related to Mortal Kombat 11, I'll be either streaming it, hosting it, hell, commentating if I need to. Uh, I'd want to. It's going to be uh, some fun. So I have plenty of things happening this summer. And I appreciate you, sir, having me on as a guest. Of course, it's been a blast. It's been such a fun and just kind of far-reaching talk. I feel like we covered so many different topics. Uh, definitely appreciate your time. And yeah, to all you guys listening at home, definitely follow Josh everywhere he is, as you just mentioned. And of course, you have been listening to People Playing Games. You could find us uh, on Twitter at PPG Podcast. You could find me at Mike Andronico. The podcast is available pretty much anywhere you find that type of thing itunes soundcloud spotify whatever your platform of choice will probably be there uh and yeah guys thank you josh thank you to everybody listening as always keep on playing